Well, we're going to be in Psalm 29 tonight, if you want to open there. And I'm, I'm going to read from Exodus 19 to, to begin with. And you can listen or you can keep your finger in Psalm 29 and turn to Exodus 19, um, verse 16, because I'll tie the two together in just a minute. This is Exodus 19, verse 16. It says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely covered in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in, a, in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. When the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses Moses went up. That passage that we just read, verse 16 through 20, in, in Exodus is called a theophany. It's an appearance of, of God. The Bible tells us that God is a spirit. Spirit. And yet here you find the Lord appearing. You find this presentation of, of the Lord, how God presents Himself, how He's manifesting His presence as, as the, the Spirit. It's accompanied by visible events. It's, it's thunder and dark clouds and fire and wind and earthquakes and the sound of trumpets. It's the, it's the presence of God tangible to the human senses. And the Bible says that God's a spirit, He's omnipresent, meaning He's everywhere, all at the same time, and yet you have circumstances in the Bible like this where the Lord, who's omnipresent, descends upon the mountain and He speaks with a voice and He calls Moses up to the mountain and this happens many times in the Old Testament, and anytime you hear the phrase, the glory of the Lord, typically reflects an appearance of, of God or represents a, an appearance of, of God. He, he went before the children of Israel. His presence went before the children of Israel in, in a pillar of smoke and, and fire. You remember back to Genesis with, with the, the, the dream that... that Abraham had, when he asked God, how will I know that you'll fulfill this covenant? You, know, you remember the, the passage where the Lord, he believed the Lord and was reckoned unto him for righteousness, and then Abraham says, how will I know? How can I be sure? And God puts him to sleep, and, and then this, this, this smoking pot goes between the pieces. It's a, it's a representation. It's, a, it's the presence of God here, like in the... In the tangible to the human senses. 
whatever form the Lord took in, all, in the Old Testament, it all foreshadows the, the great theophany, which is the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. If Hebrews tells us, if you want to know what the Father's like, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. He is the, he's the Godhead, in, God incarnate in, 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 in bodily form. And whenever God appeared in these various forms, the, the response of human beings is, is almost always the same. If you're in Exodus, turn over to chapter 20 and look at the response of the people to, to this appearance of, of God. Verse 18. It says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they said, Boy, I'd like to be God's buddy. I'd like to climb up on his lap and give him a big kiss. Is that what it says? They trembled and stood far off and then said to Moses, You, you speak with us and, and we'll hear, but, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Pretty direct response. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that His fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Moses had a great privilege. The Bible talks about God speaking to Moses as a friend, manifesting His presence. When Moses goes into the into this close fellowship with God, his, the glory of the Lord remains upon him. And, and it, it leaves after a period of time, and there's the passage about Moses veiling his, his face. Here's a, here's a theophany, the appearance of God, the presence of God, tangible to human senses, and here's how human beings respond. Well, you can see it all through the Old Testament. How did, what did Job do whenever God finally spoke? And you know what Job did when the bad stuff happened in his life and his buddies came along to encourage him. Um, he, at some point, he doesn't deny his faith but, he, faith, but he grumbles. But then God speaks towards the end of the book of Job. And Job does what? I'm not going to argue with the Lord. I'm going to lay my hand in my mouth. When God is speaking, I lay my hand in my mouth. That's what the book of James tells us, to be, to be slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Quick to hear what the Lord has to say. Slow to speak. Lay our hands over our mouths. And swift to do, to, to act. When Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord in heaven, what is Isaiah's response? He cries out that, that he's, un, he's unclean. What did the apostle Peter do? Whenever he, he gets this flash of reality that he is in the presence of Messiah himself, whenever Jesus does the miracle with the nets, he says, away from me, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. You, you see this pattern of how, you're, how you respond whenever you truly see the Lord. Well, turn over to Psalm 29. Your finger's already there. Because this is a hymn. It's a psalm of David describing the Lord in, in Theophanies, describing the Lord, describing His power, describing His name, describing who He is in ways that the human senses can grasp, the ways the human senses can understand. And it's, 
in light of, of God manifesting Himself or putting Himself on display in, in these, these, these ways that we can grasp and understand, it's a call to worship Him as to see who He is in all of His splendor. And I think it's a fitting psalm whenever you think about Joseph and you think about how he has been in Egypt for 20 years. I mean, 17 is pretty young to be taken away from your home. And then to be 37 years of age after, after being in Potiphar's house, after, after being in prison, after being elevated to for seven years to the right hand of the most powerful man on the planet, after having your name changed, after, after having your, your attire changed, after receiving all of the blessings of Pharaoh, all of the power to ride in the second chariot, to have for seven years everyone in Egypt bow whenever you came by, whatever you said goes, to have the fulfillment of the dreams that you interpreted take place. I mean, Joseph's watching the seven good years and the grain pile up. 37, to be that assimilated in the Egyptian society, to still declare that he is a Hebrew and name his children Manasseh and Ephraim. To declare that his hope is not in Egypt, he is a Hebrew amongst Egyptians, and his hope is in, is in the Lord. And it's because Joseph understood who God was. And I do think that there's a danger in, in our culture to view God too lowly, too, too buddy-like, and not a consuming fire like He is. And I think the danger of that... Now, I understand the whole idea of you know God in His, in His high ivory tower, and you can view God like a Muslim views God, which is He's aloof, He's, he's, he's angry all the time, He's mean, and you just better not tread... You better not be caught in when God's looking in your direction because, you know, He's just going to zap you. I mean, it's a, there, is no, there is no personal aspect to God. There's no personal relationship if, if, you, if you're familiar with, with Islam. He's harsh. He's hard. He, he, he's, he does whatsoever He pleases, the Bible tells us. But the Bible also tells us that the Lord is compassionate and gracious and He's, he's touched by our infirmities and... He remembers our, our frame, that it's frail and but dust. And, and you, I mean, you see a picture of God in two ways. You see Him, He holds Himself up as, as the mighty God. He is a consuming fire. And yet you see Jesus compassionately raising a sick little child uh, from, from the dead and weeping at the tomb of, of Lazarus and seeing you and me in, in our sin and coming to us and rescuing us. In the danger, I think, of, of, of seeing God in, in, in the wrong view, if it's like the Muslims or like the, the way that, that He's presented in, in our culture where, you know, Jesus is your homeboy and, and He's your buddy and, and you start throwing terms around like, like J.C. And, and things like that that degrade who, who God is... You, God's not put in in a in a proper perspective there. In one sense, he's not approachable; he's not personal. In this other, lackadaisical sense, 
you, you, you can miss the, the, the propitiation that's necessary, that Christ propitiates us to the Father. It doesn't lower who God is to a cuddly grandfather. He, he, he preserves us in God's almighty presence. I mean, the reason you say in Jesus' name is not to just, like a habit, say that at the end of your prayer. You're saying that the way I'm approaching you, Father, is through your Son and your Son's righteousness alone, not mine. Um, and God presents Himself here in the way that we can understand, and He calls us to, to worship Him. And so here's your outline, and we'll walk through it and find some things in here that are, that are very helpful. Psalm 29 is a call to see the splendor of God's holiness. Now, what would you, what comes to your mind when you hear the word holy? He is, you remember sharing Christ with a, with a, with a young man, probably 19 years old, the first time I ever went to China. And it was the end of a summer camp, and, and I was trying to... He asked me what I did, and he'd never heard of a pastor before. He'd never heard of Christ before. And trying to explain to somebody what a pastor is who's never heard of Jesus and really doesn't have a very good concept of, of God whenever there's broken English is a pretty difficult thing to do. And I remember that after about five minutes of going back and forth trying to describe, you know, uh, you know I, I serve God, uh, you know, uh, he, he finally says, oh, you're a holy man. You're a holy man. And, you know, I'm like a Buddhist priest. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a holy man. What comes to your mind when you hear holy, the holiness of God? Well, it's not a holy man, or, or you, get the, you get a number of images that come to your mind. The holiness of God is His uniqueness. It's His unlikeness to everything else and everyone else. God is, God is holy. He is, he is completely other than anything else and everything else. He is, He's God. He's, he's unique. He's, he's, he's holy, holy, holy. He's, He's three times unique. It's the emphasis of, of how God is unlike, unlike us, unlike anything else. He is, he is completely and utterly distinct and, and set apart. He is, he is the Lord. And so there's a call to see the splendor of God's holiness. John Piper said that the, the holiness of God is 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 when his glory goes goes public. It's the it's the manifestation of God on on display. And um, here is a call to to see that in verses one and two, uh, you'll find this call to worship the Lord in His holiness. Verses one and two. They should have the verses up there, but we didn't get them up there for you. A call to worship the Lord in His holiness, verses 1 and 2. A cry to give, God glo- to give glory to the Lord for His thunderous voice. That's verses 3 through 9. 
and then a cause to praise the Lord. All three of those covenant names for God for His awesome power in verses 10 and 11. So two verses, and then you have a number of verses, 3 through 9, and then you have two verses at the end. How He wraps up the, the psalm. Let's read it. It says, give, give unto the Lord, ascribe unto the Lord, you mighty ones. Give or ascribe unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon, Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple, everyone says, Glory! The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as King forever. The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. And whenever you're... We, we call ourselves to worship on, on Sunday morning. We're calling ourselves, we're calling the people that are gathered here to look towards the Lord. To, we're saying it's time to look up and to see the Lord and to, to sing about Him and, and hear Him from His Word and know that He's great. And, and verse 1 does that same thing. Give unto the Lord or ascribe unto the Lord glory and, and strengths. The, the mighty ones here, are it's literally the sons of God, or the angels. He says, give unto the Lord, you angels, the hosts of heaven, those who are in the immediate presence of God. He's going to go from the immediate presence of God to God manifesting Himself throughout the earth, through this, the voice of the Lord over the waters, and he's going to present Himself like a storm moving through the land of Israel. But He starts in heaven. Ascribe unto the Lord, you angels, you mighty one. Ascribe unto the Lord glory and, and strength. Give unto Yahweh the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His, of His holiness. Eighteen times in, in this psalm, the word, the name Lord, it's in caps, meaning Yahweh, is, is used. And angels worship. They ascribe or, or they give glory, which means to, to worship. And one of the, one of the purposes that, that, that God presented the plan of salvation was, yes, to save you, but it was also to glorify Himself in the presence of, of angels. Ephesians 3.10 tells us that the angels even look into our service tonight and marvel at the manifold wisdom of God. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that 
that Jesus Christ was seen of angels. The angels knew who who he was. The the demons even even said who who Jesus was. He was the Son of, of God. And part of God's plan of redemption is to glorify himself. Glorify himself before all creation through through the works of the of the Son. Philippians two ten says that Christ will be exalted in heaven and earth and 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 under the earth. And verse two says, Give glory give unto the Lord or ascribe unto the Lord the glory due his name. It's not what we think is acceptable, but what he is worthy of. It's, it's a tall order, really. We're to worship Him in the beauty of His holiness or His separateness, the splendor of, of His uniqueness. To recognize who God is. What were the Israelites rebuked for by God in, in Malachi? In Malachi 1 6, those of you familiar with that, with that passage. Yeah, it talks about giving there, but. But there is a motive in their heart that, that they're rebuked for. They're, they're, they're not giving God what, is, what He's worthy of. They're giving Him His leftovers, what they thought was acceptable, not what is due His name. So here you have a call to, to worship. Offer God what is due His name. And, and then He basically says, just look at Him. Notice in verse 3, you, you hear this repeated phrase, the voice, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. Seven times it says the voice of, of Yahweh. There's the theophany. Now God is going to manifest Himself. He's going to talk about Himself in ways that the human senses can grasp. How mighty, how powerful He is. And it's described here, the voice of the Lord is, is described like a thunderstorm. And there, there are these thunderclaps, if you will, of, of God. And, and the picture here is a storm blowing in from the Mediterranean, coming across Mount Hermon, moving down through all of Israel, all the way down to the southern part in Kadesh, and finding God's people in the, in the, in the temple. Look, if you would, at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the storm. The, the God of glory thunders. So you, you have this picture of a storm out over the waters, out over the Mediterranean. and The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. So now He makes landfall. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Sirion, which is, a, which is another name for Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, which is above the Sea of Galilee. It's all the way up at the very top of, of the Promised Land. So he makes the voice of the Lord, the, God's manifestation and of, of this power in a storm comes shore off of, after hovering over the waters and it comes over Mount Hermon. And it moves down. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The, Jesus was driven into the wilderness. That's down around the Dead Sea. It's, it's the desert. The Lord shakes the wilderness of, of Kadesh all the way down into the, to the southern part 
The voice of the Lord makes deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And here in His temple, everyone says, glory. The storm moves across Israel and finds the faithful in the temple while manifests Him Himself. Look back at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. And why would, why would God present Himself as a, as a storm? Well, there's the, the arch nemesis, if you will, of, of God all through the Old Testament. At least the people were, were lifting up and returning to one God over and over and over. Who was that God? Baal. That's right. Baal and Asherah. You see the god Baal over and over. Elijah fought the prophets of, of Baal. And Baal was, was a, the, the god of storms. He was the storm god. The god of war. And here is God's manifesting Himself. The true God thunders over all. He, he, he just overshadows all of all of the territory does what he he pleases. Verse four, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The Lord is full of majesty. The Lord is not like Baal. He is much more powerful than Baal. Turn back to First Kings, verse seventeen. Here's probably the most famous story. About God and Baal. It comes at a dark time in Israel's history when King Ahab is is reigning, and he sets up Baal worship because of his wife Jezebel. If you look at First Kings. 16, verse 31 says, And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal which he had built in Samaria, right in the center, right in the middle of the promised land. And Ahab made a wooden image. And Ahab did more to provoke Yahweh, God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. He's a bad guy. And then you find in chapter 17, verse 1, God brings a prophet onto the scene that you know well, Elijah. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. He says to Ahab, As Yahweh, God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. You remember how Joseph stood before Pharaoh? Elijah stands beside the Lord or before the Lord. There shall not be dew nor rain except at my word. And you, if, if you're just reading through First Kings, or as you've read through First Kings, do you find this odd? I mean, you've got 
you've got all of these kings and you've got the description of Ahab and how wicked he was and he sets up the prophets of Baal and all that and then all of a sudden it says, and Elijah, the Tishbite, he comes along and says, I'm going to, God says he's going to shut off heaven. That comes right on the heels of, of Ahab setting up this worship of, of, of Baal. And in, in pagan worship at that period of time, you had Baal, the god of, of storms, and you had Mot, the god of death. And Baal is the one who, is the, who, who brought the, the rain. And if you're in an arid place, rain is very important for crops and otherwise. And Ashereth was, was this, this idea of fertility. And so they got together at times, Baal and Ashereth. And then, and then whenever, whenever the wintertime comes, whenever the rainy season ends, Mot is conquering Baal. He's the god of death, and so he brings no rain. So when there's a bad famine in the land, Mot is conquering Baal at the moment. So you kind of get this kooky picture that you see in Greek mythology or otherwise where the gods are fighting in the heavens, you know. I can remember as a kid driving through the mountains of West Virginia, and you see the little, you'll see the little, uh, uh, little areas of fog up on the mountains. And my granddad said that was groundhogs making coffee in the morning. Whenever you drive through there, you know, you, you hear the stories the way people try to describe thunder to their kids. You know, well, it's it's God and His angels bowling in heaven or whatever silly stuff we people say to kids. Well, it's kind of the same silliness, but it's serious when these are God's people. And Baal was the one that brought the storms. He brought the rains. And, and Mot was the god of, of death. And, and God sends His prophet to the people of Israel and says, I'll show you how powerful Baal is. It will not rain except at the word of my prophet until I say so. And it's exactly what happens. And He sends Elijah to the brook Cherith and it flows down from the Jordan. And then look at verse 8, because the very next scene it says, the, Lord, the, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which, is in, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. But this, this, this just seems like indiscriminate ideas that are connected together. Ahab and Baal, until you understand Baal's the storm god, and God shuts down the rain. And then when you understand that God, that, that, that Mot is the God of death, you understand exactly why God sends Elijah, his prophet, to this, to this widow at Zarephath. Because you know the story. He goes there and she's about to die and she's preparing the last meal and he says, fix me something to eat and your meal's not going to run out, your oil's not going to run out until, until I say so, and then while Elijah, that's exactly what happens, and while Elijah is there, what takes place? Sun dies. And she says, prophet of God, have you been brought here to cause me to remember my sins? I'm being punished by your God. And Elijah says in verse 13, do not fear Go and do as you said. Make for me a small cake from this first. Bring it to me and afterwards some for yourself and for your son. For thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel. Here's the miracle of the flower. She went away and did. Verse 17, Now it happened after these things, the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and in his sickness he was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So Elijah says, 
So she said to Elijah, What have I do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sins to remembrance and kill my son? And Elijah said to her, Give me your son. And so he stretched out his arms. Prophets typically acted out their, their, their positions at times. He took, stretched out his arms, carried him to the upper room, and he laid him on his own bed and he cried unto the Lord, O Lord my God, basically... I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him and revived. And Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper room into the house, and gave him to his mother and says, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of Yahweh in your mouth is truth. Triumph over the prophets of Baal, shutting off the, the rain. Triumph over the god Mot by raising this child from the dead. And in chapter 18, he now is ready to go public. And he sets up the battle. He sends word to Ahab, I'm going to send rain. God can shut the rain down when he wants to. And he can turn it back on. And Baal has nothing to do with it. He can raise from the dead. Mot has nothing to do with it, and you know Elijah takes the victory to Mount Carmel, and you know the story, we don't have time to go through it all. He says, let the God who answers be the one that you follow. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal, follow Him. And the people answered Him not a word. And so you know, you know the story. They cry all day long. Baal won't answer. He says maybe he's in the bathroom, maybe he's asleep, cry louder. And then verse 30, 1 Kings 18. Elijah said to all the people, come near. So all the people came near and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. That's exactly where we're at in the book of Genesis. And then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, based upon who God is, His covenant faithfulness. And he made a trench around the altar large enough for two measures of seed. And he put wood and he cut the bull into pieces and filled the water pots, poured the water on the sacrifice and the wood, do it a second time. Do it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, filled the trench of the altar. And it came to pass at the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And the fire, here's a manifestation of God, fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water from the trench. And when all the people saw it, how did they respond to the theophany? They fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, He's God, He's God. It's not Baal and it's not Mott. 
And Elijah said, Seize the prophets of Baal, and let none of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. I'll turn back to Psalm 29. God is presenting Himself again. In a way, He is like thunder. He is more powerful than, than Baal. Mighty thunder of God rises over the Mediterranean, breaks in full, full, full fury over the mountains of Lebanon, down the entire lengths of, of Canaan. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord divides the flame of fire. It's like lightning. Quick. Opening immediately with unimaginable power. I had a friend who was struck by lightning twice. Say it only happens once. Twice. Both times he was in Paris Island, Camp Lejeune. And any time there was a storm, this giant of a man, six foot three, marine, tough as nails, you hear thunder and he ran like a little girl. I mean, petrified. We were out on the boat one time and there was a storm that came up and he couldn't get off the boat. And I thought he was going to kill me before I got him uh, into into the bank. And we ran to the bank, and he jumped off, and he ran and got in his car. Here is a picture of, I guess if you'd been struck by lightning not once but twice, you would, wouldn't want to be struck again. God presents himself here like lightning. Unimaginable power. He shakes the wilderness in verse 8. Earthquake shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Any of you ever experienced an earthquake? I mean, not just a tremor, but one where it feels like the, the ground is like jelly. It's very unsettling. When you get off of a high place, you get out of a hot air balloon, off of a, off of a ski lift, some, some gondola that you don't want to be on. You know, they talk about kissing the ground. You can't wait to get your feet on the ground. There's something comforting about your feet being on the ground and the earthquake. Even the ground beneath you moves. It's unsettling. The voice of the Lord makes the the deer's calf, makes the deer's give birth. Fear and terror that brings a premature birth. It's, It's to be... God is so fearful and powerful that Animals give premature birth. He strips the forest bare. The presence of His voice penetrates the deepest and most secret recesses. And what is the response whenever this glory, the voice of the Lord, is heard by His people? Glory. We don't cower in, in fear of judgment before our God. We say glory to our God. We fall on our face, but we don't fear the judgment of our God. We fear the Lord. We ascribe unto Him what is due His, His name. Here God is presented, and there's a cause to praise the Lord for His awesome power. Verse 10. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. 
And the Lord sits as King forever. The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. How terrifying a picture this sheer power and awesomeness of, of God. How can He be approached? Jesus is dangerous. In the next two verses, these last verses, verses 10 and 11, tell us how and why we can approach this God, how we can say glory rather than run. While He's not cute and cuddly, we can't approach Him. Because unlike Baal or Allah or some capricious other deity, our God can control His power and He makes distinctions between those who are His people and those who are not. Look at verse 10. The Lord sat enthroned at a flood. Is that what it says? The flood. What flood is He talking about? The flood. As a matter of fact, this is the... Here, in this verse, and in Genesis 6-11, through are the only times this word is used. This is talking about the flood from Genesis 6-11. through The Lord sat enthroned. He was in full control. His power that causes premature birth in animals, strips the forest bare, is like earthquakes and lightning. When His power is unleashed, it's unleashed upon the wicked. He sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits not just is able to do that when the flood happened, but forever this same God will do the same thing to the wicked. One day, He sets in throne on a judgment throne and unleashes this power over the wicked, pours out a flood of judgment on them, not just in the past, but He'll do it again. But look at what He says about verse 11. Yahweh will give strength to His people. Yahweh will bless His people with peace. You know what you have coming to you? Not a flood of furious wrath or judgment. You have the ability to stand because God has given you that ability to stand before Him and you have peace. God's people can stand before such a mighty and dangerous God by His strength because He makes them to stand and by the peace that He bestows upon Him. No wonder those who are in His temple, everyone said glory <laughs> rather, than, rather than running. He can make a distinction and He does. Spurgeon said this, and I'll close with this statement. Just as the eighth psalm is to be read by moonlight when the stars are bright, as the nineteenth psalm needs the rays of the rising sun to bring out its beauty, so this psalm, Psalm 29, can best be rehearsed beneath the black wing of tempests by the glare of the lightning or amidst the dubious dusk which heralds the war of elements. Man, I wish I could talk like that. And he's saying basically, take the book of Psalms out the next time there's a clear night, go outside when the stars are bright and read Psalm 8. It'll come to life for you. 
The next time you see the beauty of the sun, read Psalm 19, which talks about the sun coming out like a bridegroom. The next time there is a powerful storm that comes in thunder and lightning, read Psalm 29 and be reminded that this God is your God and cry glory to Him because He doesn't have a fierce wrath in judgment facing you. He has strength and and peace. Beautiful picture of God. Let me pray for us.